Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 47th episode of Crime Over Wine, the only podcast with head-scratching true crime stories that are just better over a bottle of wine. I'm your host, Liam Collins, and this week, my guest co-host is the host of Consignment Therapy, a dating, sex, and mental health podcast, which she hosts alongside Kenzie Durbin, who was on episode 31 of this podcast. My guest co-host this week is Jennifer Foltz. Hello, Jennifer. How are you doing? So good to see you. Hi, Liam. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. We love Kenzie so much. So any friends of Kenzie is a friend of mine. Um, So let's, first of all, roll back a little bit and tell me about consignment therapy, because I think that is like, like, I love this world of podcasts. Mm -hmm. Um, Besides true crime, obviously, that's my number one. But you know, (laughs) but self help, you know, like anything where you can just like have a platform to talk about and hear about, you know, problems that we all have, I think is really important. And so where did this kind of all come from? Yeah, absolutely. So Kenzie and I, are just good friends and we're both in our early 30s we got out of decade-long relationships so we just find ourselves kind of you know in the streets not knowing how to navigate being single Mm. in the like this late in the game and so we just we find ourselves sitting on the couch drinking wine kind of supporting ourselves just navigating the dating world just again trying to figure out ghosting, love bombing, just figuring it out. (laughs) So many words. A lot of it is really the blind leading the blind and trying to, you know, just being sex positive. So yeah, we just, we decided to start a podcast and just to try to be, you know, all inclusive and and to support other, support other women. Uh, Yeah. Just navigating the dating world and, and talking about, I mean, everything, uh, stress need and, and kind of using our own experiences and sort of supporting other women going through what we're going through. Um, because yeah, every, everybody has, has crazy things that they've gone through and yeah, just trying to support each other. Yeah. And you know, what's crazy that I was thinking about just now is like, is like, like people in your position, I would (laughs) presume anyways, like come out of like these really long relationships and you're just like, what is 
dating apps like what yes. is like all the like what is ghosting like what are all the like all these terms like it has mm-hmm. to be like it's like a foreign language mm-hmm. at a certain point right yeah. and it's just like how do you navigate that like and so so and i feel like we all have like these like in these types of situations, right, where it's, like, where you don't want to be that dumb person who, like, asks what the heck ghosting is or, mm-hmm. like, asks how the heck to use Tinder. But, like, <laughs> there are a lot of people who are having those same questions, I would mm-hmm. imagine, anyways. And so it's 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 always good. Like, you know, I always say, you know, everyone needs, you know, everyone needs a therapist, whether it's, you know, a friend, uh, you know, an actual therapist, you know, mm-hmm. or a podcast to listen to who, yeah. can, who can, like, help you kind of work through all of these thoughts and, and feelings and, and that kind of kind of stuff because if you hear somebody else saying it mm-hmm. then you, you probably feel a whole lot i know you oh, feel yeah. a whole lot less crazy to, to 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 know that other people are experiencing the same thing yeah because we've had we both have gone through a lot of even just embarrassing scenarios and again this is just new for both of us so just knowing right. that we're not alone and yeah everything's going through the same thing and yeah we both are in therapy so just taking what our own individual therapist has told us and mm-hmm. it's that trickle down therapy of like well this is what i learned right. so maybe we can apply it to our lives <laughs> and yeah, we're just doing the best we can out here. <laughs> Trickle down therapy. Yes. I really enjoy that term so much. Well, let's um, on that note, let's open a bottle of wine okay. and talk about that um, because that's my therapy. Yes. This week we are drinking Sophia Rose. It has flavors of red cherry, tangerine, apple, flint, and aromatic notes of hmm. strawberry, blood orange, and acacia. So lots of fruits yes. that we're about to be tasting, Jennifer. So let's get there. Okay. What is, I also have to know, what is your, while I'm trying to open this bottle of wine somehow, um, what is your go-to wine? What do you typically go for? I My normal go-to bottle of wine is normally uh, like a dark, a dry red, like a Cabernet Sauvignon. Ah, we're gonna be good friends. I love that. Yeah. Listen, I I love me some Cabernet. I love a good, bold, yes. dark, dry. Yes. Ooh, uh, ooh, ooh, ooh. We should. I wish yes. I knew that before. We would have had a, a Cabernet together instead <laughs> yeah. of this rosé. Well, yeah, next time. Next time we'll yeah, get the time. Soap. <laughs> next next podcast for sure. Well, cheers to you, Jennifer. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on. Cheers. cheers. Thank you. Ooh, that is a ve- that is the most subtle rosé. I've ever had. It's a f- like flowery. <laughs> yeah, it is flowery. Yeah, it definitely matches the bottle too, mm-hmm. for sure, because this is like really classy. I really enjoy this. I am really into this. Y'all, this might be my new favorite rose. Hmm. I'm not kidding. Because I've had a couple I've had a couple roses in this podcast, and you and it gets better and better every time I have one. Mm-hmm. But this is because I usually don't go for roses because I typically associate rose with just like sweet fruity flavors not my not my vibe at all Mm -hmm. but this is very subtle and very light and i could easily drink a whole bottle it is light is a good way to light and flowery Mm -hmm. yeah very flowery i don't really get most of the flavors that they're talking about here though at all maybe a little bit of tangerine maybe a little bit of apple but red cherry i just see is like this like really big bold flavor and that's not this mm-hmm. this is something you'd smuggle you'd smuggle this into the pool oh 100 into the i would smuggle this into the movie theater i would <laughs> smuggle this into a whole lot of places um work hopefully my boss is, isn't listening um but yeah no i'm i'm really into this and it has like a little bit of like um like carbonation almost to it too are mm-hmm. you getting that yeah yeah. Because it's not, it's definitely not carbonated. Like, it's not bubbles at all. But it is, airy. I can't really, it's airy. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was looking for, 100%. I really like this. Y'all, if you are into dry rosés, go for this one, 100%. I'm really enjoying this one. Yeah, it's so good. Verdict is good. Verdict is good. 
Um, well, on that note, Jennifer, we do have a whole case to get through as much as I would love to just sit here and talk about <laughs> wine. Um, we have to talk about this case because this is a, I, say, I feel like I say bonkers every week. This is topping the bonkers. It is like, it doesn't get any crazier than this one. So let's talk about it, Jennifer. Okay, I'm ready. So this week, I want to tell you a haunting story about a pair of sisters who vanished one Sunday afternoon on a walk. A really upsetting story, frankly, but what's even more frustrating about this case is the way it was investigated practically from the jump. This week, I want to tell you about Danette and Jeanette Millbrook the Millbook twins. Fifteen-year-old Danette and Jeanette Millbrook were good girls. They were well-behaved, went to school, did their homework, went to church. They were twins in every sense of the word. They were practically inseparable, but also had a pretty stark personality difference, too. Jeanette was quieter than Danette, and she was definitely the sweeter one of the two. Danette, on the other hand, had an edge to her, as her family describes her, and was really cognizant of her sister's timidness and stood up for her always. The girls grew up in Augusta, Georgia, a mid-sized city right on the Georgia-South Carolina line. The twins lived with their mom, Mary, and their 12-year-old little sister, Shanta. They also had an older sister and some family who lived nearby, but their dad wasn't really in the picture at this point. On Sunday, March 18, 1990, the Millbrook twins were just weeks away from turning 16, and they were going to church with their mom and sister as they always do every Sunday. The whole family came back around 12.30 and they were about to have lunch. Mary sent Danette and Jeanette to go to a nearby church's chicken, a fast food joint, to pick up lunch for the rest of the family while she stayed behind to clean up the house and look after Shanta. They had done this dozens of times before. It was nothing new, no big deal, and the twins felt fine doing it. They knew the way. But the way was a 30-minute walk each direction. So Danette and Jeanette got back to the home, likely sometime between 1.30 and 2 o'clock that afternoon. But they got home safe and sound, and they ate lunch as a family. But Jeanette tells her mom something really interesting, Jennifer. She tells Mary that when they were walking to get lunch, they noticed a white van following them the whole way. Oh my gosh, I already, I'm scared. <laughs> I already feel like I know where this is going. <laughs> yeah, stereotype, big time. But, like, there's a reason that stereotypes exist because sometimes they're mm-hmm. true. Um, and so there's a little teaser there for you for, like, later on. But hold that thought for sure. Well, Mary said that she looked outside the window, didn't see any white van, as the twins had mentioned. And they all evidently brushed this off because after lunch, the twins mentioned to their mom that they needed money for the bus to get to school that week. You see, they had just recently moved out of the district of their school and money was really tight for Mary these days. So instead of paying the money it would cost to transfer schools or to keep them in their original school, they decided the twins would just stay in their school and take public transportation to get there every day. No big deal. So when the twins mentioned that they needed the money, Mary told them that they should go to their godfather's house a a few blocks over to ask for some since their godfather was really close with the family and was always willing to help out where he could. So wait, they're they're walking again? How far of a walk was this? Oh, it's like another 30 minute walk. 
with Jennifer, but they decide to do it without any problem. But as Mary would later tell WJBF, the ABC affiliate in Augusta, watching them walk off felt just a little odd to her, even though, again, they had done this dozens of times before, and this was no different as far as she was concerned. Mary told reporters that she watched Danette and Jeanette walk off together from the window, Danette in her white jeans and a Mickey Mouse t-shirt, and Jeanette in her khaki shirt and a white turtleneck, and said, this time just felt different, even then. I wonder if her mentioning the van, something in her gut just triggered that, and then watching them leave, if that's why she had that feeling. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that, and I, and I mean, it has to be, right? I mean, but, but again, like, it's kind of... And, like, I don't fault the mom at all in any way, shape, or form. No. Don't get me wrong here. But, like, it's, there has, there's, like, a point in my mind that, like, I can't shake, like, in terms, like, in terms of questions here of, like, if your daughters are clearly spooked enough to be like, hey, mom, like, I think there's a van following me, maybe don't send them out to, like, go walk another 30 minutes, like, a couple hours later. Yeah, it could have been hours apart, too, like, the, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then, and then the, the walking the second time, so maybe you brush it off. How many times do we have a feeling we right. say, oh, that's crazy, right. I shouldn't listen to that feeling. Exactly. So. Yeah, and, and you know, and that that's so true, right? Because, and I, we talk about this so many times in this podcast, right? Like, everyone has this innate feeling that, like, it's, that bad things don't happen to me, right? Like, bad things don't happen here, bad things happen elsewhere. Mm-hmm. bad things happen in the movies bad things happen in those creepy documentaries like bad things are not mm-hmm. going to happen here because all the other times that we that that we've been talking about this or like have been have have done this exact thing before the bad thing that like the bad feeling i got was was turned out to be nothing and so like therefore this bad mm-hmm. feeling that i've got that i'm getting must also be nothing um because that's because it's always has been right and so therefore it always will be um and so you know so i uh, that has to be playing in her mind and also too like i don't know what the conversation was like in terms of the white van it could have just been yeah there was like some weird van oh that's weird and then that was it you know what i mean and so it's exactly it it couldn't maybe it wasn't like a situation like obviously in hindsight we're like shit but like the in the moment like maybe it wasn't like maybe they weren't all that concerned they just kind of like mentioned it in passing like oh yeah like we passed the Mm -hmm. tree and yeah we saw a white van and then we saw the white van again you know like that like that could have been it too it's so easy to look back now and put that together but yeah in the moment you Mm -hmm. you just there's no way to know yeah exactly and that and obviously you know we always put this asterisk on this podcast like we like are talking about this 33 years later with the benefit of hindsight with the benefit of knowing all this stuff they are making these decisions like live in person like you know in real time um and so we have to keep that in mind at any moment um but you know i'm sure sure jennifer that she would have felt a whole lot different would have felt exactly how we're feeling right now if she knew that that would be the last time that she would ever see her twin girls Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Crime Over Wine is sponsored by BetterHelp. 
As someone who's used therapy for years, I know that finding a therapist can sometimes be a stress on its own, juggling your full-time job, your family, your friends, your podcast, and trying to find the right therapist on top of that can almost feel impossible. That's where BetterHelp comes in. BetterHelp matches you with a therapist that works for you on your terms. It's online, it's remote, and by filling out a few questions, BetterHelp can match you to one of 33,000 licensed professional therapists in as little as a few days. And because finding a new therapist is a lot like finding a new bottle of wine, if you don't jive with your therapist, you can easily switch to a new one at no additional cost. You can get 10% off your first month of BetterHelp by going to betterhelp.com slash crimeoverwine. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash crime over wine for 10% off your first month. Join over 4 million people who decided to get help and get happy with BetterHelp. Danette and Jeanette do make it to their godfather's house to tell him that they needed some bus fare, and he gives them $20 for the bus plus a few extra bucks to get some snacks at a gas station near the house. The twins leave their godfather's house around 4 o'clock and make their way to the gas station, which again is a block or two away from the home. But between the house and the gas station, the twins decide to make a few stops first. Their cousin and older sister each lives just a block or so over from their godfather's house, so they decide to go see them. And they first go to their cousin's house, who lives just a street over from their godfather's house. And when they get there, they ask their cousin if she would want to walk with them back home. But their cousin says they can't go because their mom wouldn't let her. So next, they make a stop at their older sister's home, who lives just two streets over from the cousin. And the twins ask their older sister the same thing, if she could come with them on their walk home. But their sister says no, because she had actually just recently given birth and was still recovering. So they leave and start to walk toward the store, but later, the cousin and the twin sister both acknowledge that this was, like, a really weird thing for the twins to do, because they had, again, both taken this walk so many times, they knew the roads to take, which not to take, etc., and so they would later say that they must have known that something was wrong to make that kind of ask of them. I was just thinking the same thing. If they're asking for extra company, that tells me that, Mm -hmm. you know, just like when you're wanting to have to go to bed when you're younger and you, oh, I need to get a glass of water, you know, making excuses right. of, oh, you know, oh, will you come with me? They just, yeah, wanting that extra company and maybe not feeling comfortable right. to ask if, they, if they're if they making that assumption, if they must not have specifically said something. It might have been a gut right. feeling for them as exactly. well. Oh, 100%. And I could see, right, like at 15 too, like mm-hmm. maybe like that's kind of like the age of like, okay, like, you know, I'm starting to feel a little bit more comfortable, a little bit more sure of myself, like a little bit more brave, um, but like not fully, right? And so like if you really know something's like, you know, if you, if you don't know something's off enough to like really like beg somebody – and say, like, I need this, like, you need to come, then, like, it must have been to the point, uh, to, like, rising to the level of just, like, okay, like, you know, let's, like, let's ask this, but, like, if they say no, like, we'll be fine, everything will be okay, like, I'm sure everything's gonna be okay, again, everything was okay Mm -hmm. before, everything will be okay this time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, when you're that age, you don't know well enough to to say, especially if you don't know the consequence, you just don't know. exactly, yeah. Right, 
Exactly. Yeah. You simply don't have the, the, like, again, benefit of hindsight. You don't know the full picture. Mm-hmm. Well, we don't know exactly why the twins were wanting someone to accompany them on the walk home, but we do know that the twins do end up making it to the gas station on the corner of 12th Street and Martin Luther King Boulevard around 4.30, where they bought some chips and some drinks and then walked away from the gas station. Back at the house, Mary was very much so expecting the twins to be home any minute, but when that time came and went, Mary was getting really worried. And then it got to the point where they should most definitely be home, and it was starting to get dark. So Mary gets in touch with the twins' godfather, who tells Mary that, yeah, the twins were at the house, he gave them money for the bus for the week, plus, you know, he gave them some extra money to go get some snacks at the gas station, no big deal. So Mary calls the gas station, and the attendant tells Mary that he did recognize the girls who had been in the store before, they bought some snacks and left the gas station, but he said he couldn't remember which direction they had walked off to, but we do know they never made it home. Wow. I wonder how far away the gas station was from the house. It was only, so the gas, it was like only like five minutes or so like away, but like okay. on, in the direction from the, from the Godfather's house, mm-hmm. like only five minutes away, like right, like it's a similar ish enough path, um, path that you would take to get back to the house. Okay. To get back to their house. Okay. So it was definitely like way closer, like only a block or two away from the, from the home, but not like so, so like a like a similar distance as the Godfather's house was to the Millbrook home, mm-hmm. as the gas station was to the Millbrook home. Wow. If that makes any sense. So yeah, so it was like it was a sizable walk, but like again, they've done it before. They've been here before. It's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Wow. But um, after just a few hours of searching all around for Jeanette and Danette, Mary decides to get in touch with the police to report her daughter's missing, and their reaction, get ready, guys, is like so beyond frustrating. And all of my regular listeners know exactly. What I'm about to say, please tell Mary that she is going to have to wait 24 hours to report the twins missing. That was the department policy and police also tell Mary that the twins had most likely just run away. That is infuriating because they are 15. They're babies. Right. Right. Well, and like today, if a minor goes missing, like that automatically triggers all of these things. Mm -hmm. And like that wasn't the case back then. Frustrating enough. But like, I, I just can't stand both parts of this interaction right like the one like 24 the magic 24 hour rule Mm -hmm. that like nobody's a a real missing person unless they've been gone for a day Mm -hmm. which so much can happen in a day as everyone knows and two like we've heard this so many times on like for missing person cases on this podcast where um they were like the the gut instinct like the default setting is that they are just runaways like no big deal Mm -hmm. like is so maddening right because it's like it's for like i am never i am never ever 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 one to believe that anyone has the capability to just like go missing into the day which like granted this is only a couple hours later so like lord knows what could happen um or you know like like maybe maybe like a lot of these tips of cases or this uh are this way um but point being is like is like i i just don't understand like the especially when you're dealing with minors like i don't i simply don't understand the default of well they must have just they must have just wanted to go missing they must have just wanted to go out into the world and run away when like you don't have any like reason to back that up like they had no like they were good kids like they got along with their family they were having a normal day no fight right if there was like a massive fight and they like walked out and then went missing like okay sure i could see that but like that's not the situation here like why would they go to a godfather's house get money for the bus for the week and then be like okay bye yeah you're obviously planned out to be there for the week to go to school and 
Get right. Your Which, like, granted, you could have used that to go get far away. Like, sure. Like, I could see that. But that's but it was part of their normal occurrence to get this money. And it's like, I don't. Then any predator that knows that it, it takes 24 hours, they know that they have 24 mm-hmm. hours to get away with anything. Yeah. Make that's, like hay. That's for sure. heartbreaking. Yeah. But, you know, again, the twins had no history of running away or even wanting to run away. They didn't have any behavioral issues. They were good kids and they were all a very happy family. But to be fair, I suppose the stats are on police's side here. According to statistics from the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, less than 1% of more than 25,000 reported cases of missing children were characterized as non-family abductions, meaning all other cases were either abductions made by a family member or they were runaways themselves. And since Mary couldn't convince police that there was any family member who may have been responsible for taking the twins, the odds supported the idea that the twins had simply just run away. Wow. And I wonder if the fact that they had run into so many family members or stopped in with so many mm-hmm. family members just didn't help their case either. Right. Well, and like all these people who were like accounting for, for their every move, right? Like every single step along the way. And like if you can't like pinpoint like a family member who like would have had this motivation at the time hard case to prove but still i mean again like and and going back to like the 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 mindset of like nothing bad ever happens here right like child abductors like random child abductors still exist you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um and so it seems to me as though it's like a pretty dangerous like default setting to be like oh well if it wasn't a family member they must have been a runaway Mm -hmm. when like but like again that goes back to like the, the the mentality of like nothing like bad things don't happen here like bad people don't don't exist here in this small mm-hmm. little town that i know and i run you know what i mean so that that's just it's just it's upsetting but i mean that yeah. like that that's I, and like i kind of get that too to a certain extent right because you don't want to believe that bad things happen mm-hmm. like nothing bad thank god you know in terms of like stranger danger has happened to me mm-hmm. but like it has happened to people as we know and especially if walking and all that was such a normalized thing too you know they're probably thinking, oh, this mm-hmm. is something else. It's, there's a logical right. explanation for this. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And and if they're used and if they're comfortable, right, going out on their own and being out in the world. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like, OK, sure. Like maybe they just wanted to, to play a few games for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Sure. Like I, I can see that. Yeah. Again, spoiler alert. That's not what happened here. But like we're going to get there. Yeah. So, you know, Mary, though, as being, like, you know, the real, like, keen mom that she is, wasn't really buying it, but was increasingly more worried, mostly for Danette, who had to take medication for seizures. But what else could she really do besides continue looking for the twins while she ran out the clock for when police could get involved? And the next day, once that, again, magical 24-hour time period hit for when this would suddenly become a critical investigation, Mary calls police back and an officer came to the home to collect information and to file a mistake persons report. Now, unfortunately, the twins' case didn't get a whole lot of media attention at the time, and there wasn't an Amber Alert issued because, again, police had been operating off of a, off of the assumption here that the twins had simply just run away and wanted to go missing. But the lack of attention on Jeanette and Danette's case um, was not for lack of trying by any means on Mary's part. She was calling TV stations and the local paper constantly, trying to get someone to show their daughters' faces. And a few local outlets did, but they were, you know, really just short reads, blips on the radar, nothing like the time Mary believed her daughters were worth. Mary was also calling the local sheriff's office, which had taken the case. She was asking for updates and providing new information when she had it, and was begging them to elevate the twins' case. And that was Mary's life for weeks to months 
to more than a year. In April 1991, just after the twins' 17th birthday, an investigator came to the family's home to tell them that they were closing the case. Wait, why? Well, the investigator tells Mary that there was no need to look into the twins' case anymore because they had been found. Get ready for that big test with Study.com. Study.com offers learning materials and test prep, even LSAT study prep guides for all of my legal nerds listening. Unfortunately, there aren't any wine study guides, and believe me, I did check. Listeners can get 30% off their first three months of any subscription level using the promo code CRIMEOVERWINE. Again, that's promo code CRIMEOVERWINE, no spaces, for 30% off your first three months at study.com. Learn faster, stay motivated, study smarter with our sponsor, study.com. All right, Jennifer, this rosé, the flavors were starting to come out a little bit more. It's still a pretty subtle pink, though, mm-hmm. here. How are you feeling? Uh, I love it. I think it's I think it's still good. I think I'd still smuggle this into the movie theater or the pool. <laughs> <laughs> love that for us. Hey, we can do that. When summer comes back around, I will gladly smuggle this yes. into, a, into a pool with you. <laughs> um, but also, so the I'm getting like like little like hints of apple here, too, mm-hmm. um, like more like more aggressively here. Um, all the other flavors, though, I'm really not getting at all. Yeah, no, I so. agree. But I still feel like it is kind of, I do feel like it's more, it, it's, I see what you're saying when it's sweet, but I feel like it's also tart. Yeah. Oh, it's definitely tart. I'm not getting a whole lot of sweet here, yeah. which is kind of weird because it's a darker pink wine, mm-hmm. like from like the actual look of the thing, um, which it typically means it's a bolder, more flavorful, sweeter um, rosé. Mm-hmm. But then once you pour it into the actual glass, it's pretty pale. So it's kind of, it's kind of interesting mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, so good. Yeah, I am, I am, again, like, I, listen, I love a rosé, I really do, like, I thoroughly enjoy a good, solid, like, like, attainable rosé, like, love it for us. Mm-hmm. Um, again, usually shy away from them, because I, I don't like the sweetness, I don't like that kind of stuff, um, and so, like, but I'm always on the hunt for, like, a good, like, easy to drink mm-hmm. rosé that, like, really kind of, that, that stays with me and that kind of thing. This is definitely it. I th- really think this is going to be my new summer wine. Well, and this is good because I'm the opposite. I'm a creature of habit. I really, if I go out to a restaurant, <laughs> I'm literally like, cap so Same. whatever, red. Do you have a red, yeah. dry red? Same. And uh, Pinot Noir, I think, is a similar, right? Pinot Noir, I'm pretty sure. It's, it's enough. Similar Another, enough. Yeah. yeah. I, those are the only two. That, so to have a rosé, I'm like, oh, I haven't. I've had rosé right. before, but to have to try this, I'm like, oh, this is a nice change yeah. up. Okay. Right. And that's why that's why crime over wine is for everybody. Right. Because yes. it's like you should branch out a little bit more. Yes. Um, and so I str- do strongly believe that. I think that everyone should do a little bit, a little, a little something different mm-hmm. about um, from their wine taste for sure. Uh, and each wine has its own has its own place. Like Cabernet definitely has has a good place at the dinner table. Rosé has a good place for just a night with 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 the girls. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? A night a night on the porch with the girls. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. So into that. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to the to, to Jeanette. Yes, and Jeanette we left here. on a cliffhanger. Um, <laughs> we left on a huge cliffhanger, Jennifer, um, because when we just left a couple minutes ago, um, the investigator was back to tell them some real groundbreaking news 
do you want to hear what happened once they said that that the twins were found? Yes, please. So, Jennifer, get a load of this one. So, someone, basically what happened, right? Like, someone had called a juvenile case officer to report to them that they had seen the girls, quote, leaving. But it's not even totally clear, like, what they were leaving or where they were leaving or even, like, where they were going, just that they were leaving. Now, I also never really saw any kind of explanation as to who even made this tip or how reliable it really was, but apparently the tip that was made was reliable enough for investigators to officially classify Danette and Jeanette as runaways and to consider their case closed. And since they were now legally adults, they could not be implored to return home, even if investigators were able to make contact with them. There are so many, I have so many issues with that response because how do you know that the abductor didn't call on that tip and have like a whole explanation ready after they turned that age and had that whole thing ready to go Right. Yeah. I mean, I simply don't know who th- who this person was that made this call. I really wish I did. Mm. I'm sure investigators, I have to believe that investigators took it, you know, yeah. as reliable enough as a good enough source of information. So, like, I have to... I have to believe that, frankly, otherwise I'll go insane. Um, but I mean, but like you said, I mean, I need so much more specificity here. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it's like, because like, yeah, they are adults now, but when they went missing, they were children. And so therefore they should still be investigated as missing children. And unless you can get any definitive proof somehow that they did indeed go off, because like just saying that they were leaving somewhere is simply not enough proof to me to to believe that they actually are runaways and actually did go off that way. So I, I just, I have so many questions, so many thoughts, so many concerns. It just is this, it does not make any sense to me. No, absolutely not. Now, the twins' family was simply not buying this, and they were really upset by the news that investigators were closing the case and were no longer going to be looking for Jeanette and Danette. But what was even more frustrating was this. An investigator had apparently reached out to the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children and asked the organization to remove the listing for Danette and Jeanette's case since, according to them, they were no longer considered missing children. Oh my gosh, that is so heartbreaking. Like, that is just, that's so sad because you know that if they were, you just know that they didn't run away. (laughs) Well, and even if they did, right, like, they are still, like, out in the world and, like, nobody's accounting for them. Like, there's no history of them existing beyond that. And so it just doesn't make any sense. Like, what's the harm in just keeping the listing out there? Yeah, they didn't have money to, to, to pay for a bus to go to school what makes you think they had money to go be on their own for the rest of their lives (laughs) right they had twenty (laughs) dollars like they and like and some chips and some and some sodas like they didn't have much of anything so i don't know again it's just it's like it's like why go the extra step and like from the from the like ncmec's perspective national center for missing exploited children like you like okay like sure like they are no longer missing people like that sounds legit and they take it down and so i don't really even i don't blame them but like why go so far as to say yep like they're not missing people when you still have not physically located them yeah going off of a completely anonymous or a non uh, yeah that's crazy 
Right. Well, yeah, like, like to your point, like anonymous to us, but like us presumably anyways, not anonymous to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So anyways, but you know, that was not going to stop the family from continuing to search for the twins. And for years, they did not give up hope of one day finding Danette and Jeanette, looking at every pair of young girls to see if maybe there was a familiar face among them or any sign of that Mickey Mouse shirt that Danette was last seen wearing. In the 90s, a young girl was found in Aiken, South Carolina, about 30 minutes east of Augusta, and police ruled her death a homicide. And with facial reconstruction, the family and some of the public who had gotten and really invested in this case said she kind of looked like Jeanette almost, but the coroner later determined, using DNA examination of the young girl's bones, that they were able to rule out it being either of the Millbrook twins definitively. And that's how it was for the rest of the Milberg family for years. False hope, weeks of feeling like there was no hope at all, followed by a spark of some glimmer of hope, only for that glimmer to be snuffed out by yet another dead end. And if at this point it's only up to the family, right? Because the case is closed. They're not on the missing persons. Like your resources have just narrowed down to just your family. Your chances are even lower at this point. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Well, it is heartbreaking. And think about, like, think about how, like, like, alone it must be, right, to to be in this situation to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you, there are a, not a whole lot of families who know what it feels like to have your, to have not only one, but two of your kids go missing seem like seemingly poof into the into the night kind of thing um and so so you're alone on that front but then also alone because you're the only people looking for them mm-hmm. all at the same time it would consume you oh it has to and like you're not like a per- like you're not an investigator like you are a mom and you don't know where to like where do you even begin looking mm-hmm. for for your kids if you have to do it on your own and how do you not like go out and try to do this on your own if nobody else is freaking gonna do it mm-hmm. for you. Yeah, just heartbreaking. I can't. I can't imagine. I can't imagine what it what it, what it must like. You must just feel like you're just on an island, completely on your own. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely awful. And like again, like besides the point of like looking at every single pair of twins that like or pair of young girls walking together and just hoping that maybe this is something because because I don't even know what's even worse, right? Because is it is it worse to eventually find them and have them be deceased or is it worse to to find them and know that they ran off and left voluntarily i simply don't know which is which is worse yeah because the can you imagine the resentment if of what it's done to your life if you find that they did run away what do you do with that information yeah what do you do i can't imagine well, that you know, that frustrating cycle continued through 2004, 14 years after the twins had last been seen, and it was around that time when Shanta, the twins' younger sister, who was now in her mid-20s, reignited a full-fledged campaign to get her sister's case back on the minds of the public and of investigators. She was regularly putting phone calls into the sheriff's office to remind them that they still cared about Jeanette and Danette, and they should too. And that practice continued practically every month until 2013. Around that time, the newly elected sheriff of Augusta, Richmond County had taken office, and Shanta saw a commercial for him on TV, so she decided to give him a call in the hopes that this new leader of the county would be able to breathe some new air into what had become a stale investigation. And when she calls, what the sheriff said absolutely shocked her. Well, okay, what did he say? The sheriff said that he agreed with her. 
After Shanta called the sheriff to express her concerns, the sheriff called Shanta back and said that he didn't like how the investigation was handled at all, but that there was one problem. The case file for the Millbrook twins was gone. Crime Over Wine is proud to support Emancipet. Unlike episodes of Crime Over Wine, veterinary care shouldn't be a mystery, which is why Emancipet is making vet care affordable and accessible to everyone. Emancipet is a nonprofit organization that operates an ever-expanding network of low-cost veterinary clinics in neighborhoods across the country, offering discounted and free vaccines, flea and tick treatments, spay and neuter surgeries, and much more. Learn more and support Emancipet's mission at emancipet.org. The new sheriff in town tells Shanta that he wants to reopen her sister's case, but the original case file appears to have been disposed of at some point since the case was indeed closed back in 1991. And so he was going to have to piece it all back together again from what they still have. That is crazy. It's like... They were never on board from the very beginning. Yeah, hundred percent. And I, again, I just and like this is the land before like Excel documents. True, you know what true. I mean? And so, um, or Excel spreadsheets. Um, so like, like I kind of understand because you only have so much freaking cabinet space. Like getting rid of the ones that like are yeah. closed, sure. But like, I also like don't see the harm. First of all, I don't see the harm in, in keeping it just in case. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, they do end up being, like, you're wrong, and they do end up actually being a missing person, um, and, like, and, like if, until you actually find them, you know what I mean? Like, like find them first, and then throw away the freaking case file, if you really have to throw away the freaking case file, but, like, why not, if they still have not been definitively, like, placed back into their family members, mm-hmm. like, care, or, like, you have not physically, like, put eyes on them yourself keep the freaking case file dude like i don't understand or why couldn't you give it back to the family like the can you not give that file right. to the family oh great yeah. idea great idea jennifer absolutely great idea yeah i, spe- I mean if it's close again if it's closed it's public record yeah. so you might as well right like i get if it's still open technically like not wanting to give that away and if they didn't i could see okay yes the case is closed there's retention laws x amount of years you get rid of that but if they were still mm-hmm. calling and following up like Someone, again, that's maybe common sense over common practice, but yeah, you would think that they would, I don't know. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. And like today, I'm sure it's a lot easier because you can scan mm-hmm. that shit in and like keep it all in, in like in an endless, you know, so mm-hmm. like, you know, supply of files and stuff. So like get that. I understand the techn- technological, you know, mm-hmm. things here. Um, but I just, I just don't get like, why not just hold on to it somehow? Like, preserve it just mm-hmm. in case you're wrong. But mm-hmm. evidently that's not what happened. Well, you know, this new sheriff, though, is adamant that the twins and their family have been wronged by the department since 1990. And so on top of reopening the investigation, he also says that he is going to order an investigation into why this investigation was handled the way that it was, including why the investigation was closed and who made the call to remove them from the national database and why. He gives a justification into this rationale in an interview with the Huffington Post back in 2013. And Jennifer, I'm hoping that you're going to be able to read his quote for us. Okay. We think a terrible injustice has been done for the last 20 years. For some unknown reason, they were removed from the system, but there is no report indicating why they were removed. So for the last 20 years, they have not been in the system. Wow. That is, they were done so wrong. At least, I mean, at least that guy was willing to go in and try to do right by them right right it yeah yeah and like i do i always like because again like we 
unfortunately we cover a lot of cases on this podcast right where like like with bad police work um at least you know visual like from like our perspective Mm -hmm. you know what i mean um and so like so i always give credit right where where credit's due from from for good investigators Mm -hmm. who like don't care about what what it look what it ends up Mm -hmm. looking like or like what it could end up costing everybody like at the end of the day like these people are supposed are in the business of of trying to you know solve crimes to try to you know charge people with crimes um and if and there's clearly a a crime adjacent that's been committed here right like obviously like they've been gone for 20 years and so so point being is that like i give him a lot of credit for like publicly being like like a mistake was made we are trying to to right that wrong you know in any way shape or form so like i give him because because it would have been so easy for him to just be like nope like they were probably right next question Uh, but he didn't do that so yeah. good for him. In 2017, Mary and the twins' sister gave DNA samples to police so that they could try and get as complete of a profile as possible of the Millbrook twins, just in case they find something to match it against. And Jennifer, they need as many samples as they can get of direct family members because the person who could provide a sample and give investigators as complete of a familial profile as possible is not going to give them one. Wait, who who's that? It's the twins' father, John, who, if you remember, I told you, hasn't really been involved in either of the twins' lives for a while, but he has been involved in the investigation since the beginning. Let me tell you how. Now, in 2017, when investigators ask family members for DNA, they are also able to get in touch with the twins' father to ask him for a sample, and he refuses. And back in 1990, when the search for the twins was at its peak, the family actually reached out to the twins' father for help looking for them. And he said he wasn't interested in looking for them at all. And he suggested to Mary that she shouldn't be either. What what kind of father has that kind of response? Even if you're not even involved in their lives. Yeah. You think so, right? Like, like if, if it, it, like you, like as a person, right? Like you would want to be like, oh my gosh, like, let me like help out yeah. if you're reaching out to me directly, let alone if they're the, your spot. That is, that is such a twist. I need to know more. Yeah. Same. <laughs> Jennifer, we don't even know a ton about this whole dynamic, but here is what we do know. According to the Oxygen documentary, The Disappearance of the Millbrook Twins, a man comes forward to investigators with an account that points a finger squarely at John Millbrook. The man's name is Ernest Vaughns, and he tells this whole story from jail while he's serving a life sentence for killing two men in 1996. From jail, Ernest tells investigators that he witnessed what he believes to have been the murder of the Millbrook twins. Here's what he says. He says that when he was 12 years old, he used to sell drugs and would spend a lot of time at John Milbrook's house. And not long after the girls left the gas station, they were picked up, according to him, and brought to their father's house on 3rd Street, which seems to make a legitimate amount of sense because everyone who knew the twins were adamant that they wouldn't have gotten into the car with a complete stranger. But what Ernest says happens next is absolutely despicable. And I really caution for listeners with sensitivities here because it's a doozy. So skip ahead if you have a hard time hearing more graphic details. We'll sum it up for you at the end. Ernest tells investigators that one day he was at the house with about eight to nine other men and the twins, and they were all drinking and smoking weed, including Danette and Jeanette. And then it got kind of out of hand. 
One of the men started to sexually assault Jeanette, and Danette stepped in to stop it. When she did, the man hit Danette. She fell and busted her head open on the table, and Ernest said that he didn't, quote, think them girls were alive after that. Oh my gosh, that is disgusting. I'm just, I'm in shock. Yeah. Again, like, this is all secondhand, like, not, well, firsthand, uh, allegedly, Mm -hmm. right? Like, information from this person. But, like, there's nothing to officially substantiate that this is actually what ended up happening. But if it makes sense with the house location. Yeah, it certainly, like, makes a good amount of sense to me, right? Like, in terms of, like, the Mm -hmm. logic of the thing. Mm -hmm. But in terms of, like, the actual evidence to prove that this actually happened, it's kind of sparse. Like, the only reason that we know about this is because because Ernest talks to this documentary um, not to police. Wow. Interesting. So, I guess I just don't really know what else to make of that beyond that. Like, obviously a horrible way to go, yeah. of course, but, like, the, like, just so many things to, like, unwrap here, right? Like, obviously, like, they're too young to be wrapped up with these kind of men, of course, although there, there's, Ernest was apparently 12 at this point. Um, and then there's also, like, the fact that, like, like, their father was there. Yeah. Like. Your father's there. And, yeah. and then what, then where did they take you after that? Like. You wouldn't have been, had to go far. And who are these other men? How many were there? Right. People would have had to talk. Yeah. So there were about eight or nine other men, according to Ernest, in the room, including um, including John. That's too many people not to talk. I agree. I definitely agree. Which I, which is another reason why I'm like, did this really happen? Like, I don't really know. And like, why? And like, if you're so comfortable like if if you're so okay talking about it publicly like why not tell police like why not give them the evidence like you had to have known like where they were taken after that if they were really mm-hmm. killed in the home like like tell tell us where that where we can find Danette and Jeanette like yeah. make us believe you yeah back it up hmm. I just I don't know I don't know what to make of this again so like if you're if you skip through that whole part I don't blame you if you do um like of like describing this how, how this whole thing happens so like there was alcohol and drugs happening um and someone lunged on Jeanette Danette went in to stop it like it broke out into a thing and she and they died um and so that was the end of it and and John had apparently either you know consented about this whole thing or or even maybe even possibly like constructed this like this environment um and like made it like people think it was okay to like to do this but again and again i have to like lean back on like the fact that like this is all a story being told by someone who went to a documentary not to a police officer to tell uh, to tell them what had happened um and so i don't really know how much stake to put in this but kind of what you're talking what you were saying before jennifer it makes sense like it all like the whole process of this like would make sense if this is actually what happened and it would make sense that the father said don't look for like leave it alone mm-hmm. and not wanting to give his dna yeah exactly because he you could probably find the dna at the, at the house mm-hmm. right like you know or in this environment in some way yeah man yeah i uh well 
you know, the claim, though, you know, could never be substantiated by police at all. But maybe it could have been or it could have been ruled out if, if investigators were actually looking for the twins from the jump. But I'll digress there. Not the time for my soapbox today. John Milbrook died, though, in 2021 after a long stint with Alzheimer's, apparently. And along with him was any piece of information he may or may not have known when he died. Besides Ernest's allegations, there have been some pretty vocal theories about what may have happened to the Milberg twins, including the possibility that they may have been victims of Augusta's more prominent serial killer, Joseph Patrick Washington, who was convicted and sentenced to 17 consecutive life sentences in connection to a series of assaults and kidnappings that law enforcement linked to deaths of women in Richmond and Aiken counties. But he died in prison in 1999, and police have never publicly supported that theory. Wow, I wonder if uh, if that van was ever related to that serial killer. Like, did the, does the van tie into anything, or is that a coincidence? So, I, so maybe, uh, like, so from what I read about the theory that Ernest laid out about the, about them being picked up um, by a father, mm-hmm. um, that, that, that he, that they may have been picked up by that white van, mm-hmm. um, or a white van, um, it, like, it, as, as part of this whole thing about how Ernest says they may have died. Um, but also, too, I mean, like, again, talking about stereotypes, like serial killers, the child abductors, that kind of thing, like, white van makes sense. And so I could see where, um, where like, if we're going to buy this, the serial killer theory, where that would track right like if if they didn't really know who that person was who who's the person in the white van probably a stranger maybe a maybe a serial killer or serial child abductor mm-hmm. if it wasn't their father yeah or someone who their father knew wow. so you know this investigation though unfortunately has been marred with just a litany of issues from the jump we already talked about a bunch of them but in case you're not mad enough here are some more jennifer <laughs> police had apparently misrecorded the twins birthdays when they were reported missing and also misspelled their names they wrote that Jeanette's middle name was latressa when it was actually latrice and they also wrote down both of their names as Jeanette and Danette Millbrooks when it was actually Millbrook. And if you look up even to this day, as of November 2023, on the Richland County Sheriff's Office missing persons page, it's still misspelled as Millbrooks five investigators later. Mary only remembers speaking to investigators just a handful of times, and the last time that she had spoken to an investigator about new information, they they had asked about two men whose names she wasn't familiar with, and she never heard what happened with that information after that. Wow, that is so sad. To all this time and just no no information, just only constant little tiny glimmers of hope and then it just yeah nothing well and what's extra frustrating right is like we don't really know all that much more than when the twins went missing to begin with like mm-hmm. we have all of these other theories and like all this other uh circumstantial information from when it, from Ernest and that kind of thing but we don't really know anything solid to to say yes like you know like like some kind of you know like new piece of information that may or new piece of evidence that may have come forward to get us a little bit closer to 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 to, to Jeanette and Danette yeah. um potentially like we don't really know all that much more than we than we did day one no and so that has to be extra frustrating maybe they know a little bit more that they haven't really like talked about publicly sure um but like I think just from like from a, a you know pers- like a you know um, public, you know, perception perspective, 
like if you didn't even care enough from when you were reporting her missing to get their names right, let alone their birthdays or anything like that, like what what did I trust you? What am I? What can I trust you with from any other perspective there? Yeah. And frankly, it's even more infuriating because like you know again we gave the sheriff a whole lot of credit for, for you know a couple a little while ago. Now I'm back to like holy shit, like fucking get your shit together because if you are still have their names up on your website and you still don't have their names right, mm-hmm. like change. Like, like, if you need me to freaking get into HTML, I will gladly get into HTML and change the name because like, it can't be that freaking hard. No. And like, it doesn't make any sense. Could there not have been done more with the father's property? Could they not have searched? I would want to search that property. Well, true. And like, but, but to be fair, you need probable cause. To yeah, do that, that's true. Or, or permission. Or a warrant or something. Um, they probably don't have either. Um, right. Cause like the only thing that they have that points to John's direction is that dude. And like, that's not enough to get a search warrant at yeah. all. Maybe, maybe it is. I don't know. Uh, like, and or you know, use the data that they use on their own, um, to or use in defense of what they said, um, and and say like you know the vast majority of cases, ninety nine percent of cases are either runaways or familial abductions, and like here we have a family member who's pot, who's unaccounted for, um, and you know is not is not DNA. cooperating, is not providing DNA. Like maybe we should search the property. Maybe maybe we can get a warrant. I don't know if they tried. I haven't seen that. Um, but I can't. Imagine imagine that they have yeah wow and that's how i feel so sad well danette and jeanette would both be 49 today and there is a fifty thousand dollar reward for information that leads to their location and the family has made it clear that they want that reward to go to anyone who has information even if it's someone who had something to do with the twins disappearance or even if it's the twins themselves they just want to know what really happened to jeanette and danette so if you know anything about their disappearance, um, call the Richmond County Sheriff's Office at 706-821-1080. And we're also going to put that number on our website and in our show notes, too. But in the meantime, until we find Jeanette and Danette, Jennifer, that is all that we have for you this week. So thank you so much for coming on. Man, thank you so much for having me. That was so interesting and told you. like what a crazy story. Yeah, That's I told crazy. you you're going to hang on to that and hang on to that hat. I hope you didn't drink too much wine because <laughs> I'm sure that you could have <laughs> listening to that one. Um, but tell everyone and everyone where they can t- where they can find your work online. Oh yeah, you can go and follow um, CST podcast on Instagram and then it's consignment therapy podcast. You could find it on all, all major po- platforms if you want to give it a listen. We got some good stories for you guys. <laughs> Fantastic. When do you drop episodes? Um, Every Monday. Fantastic. Well, you can uh, now you have your new consignment therapy. Yeah, thank you. Love that for us. <laughs> well, thank you again so much for coming on and thank you all so much for listening. We are going to put all of our sources on our website so you can read everything for yourself and probably come up with a few theories too. And if you are just loving this podcast and you're just wondering how you can tell anyone and everyone about it, the best way to help others discover this podcast is by leaving us a five-star rating and a review wherever you are listening right now so make sure you follow us on facebook twitter and instagram and if you're wondering what we have in store for you next week here's a quick sneak peek hello everybody it's liam and i'm lindsey manning next week i'm joining the crime vineyard to tell you a story that goes to show you you don't truly know anyone not even the people who claim to love you more than anyone else maybe even especially not those people, Lindsay. But we will tell you all about that next Wine Wednesday on another episode of Crime Over Wine. Proud member of the Podnougan Network.